0: life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why united healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs learn more at uh1.com
1: hi everybody welcome to another episode of the unplayable podcast in the lockdown today we've got kane richardson and Mike Hussey all the way over there in Perth, Western Australia. Mike, how are you, mate?
2: Yeah, g'day, guys. So uh, Good to be here. And, and what's that behind you? Have you got photos of yourself on your fridge there, Sam? I'm just trying to see the fridge behind you. <laughs>
1: uh, let's not look at that. But, yes, mum does send me a new picture every week, so there's lots of uh, <laughs> photos of me and her on there as well. Um, and Kane, how have you been, mate?
3: Been good, yeah. Not much to report on, uh, on my end. Just uh, trying to stay fit and healthy and uh, not put on too much weight, which isn't a problem.
1: Right, uh Mike, we'll start with you mate. How have you been staying fit? How have you been staying active in this isolation over there?
2: yeah, it's been a crazy time, I guess for everyone um, i've uh, i guess we're we're still allowed to get out and exercise, so sort of try and get out mornings, uh, get something done there, maybe go for a walk in the evenings, uh, and then we're basically only meant to be going out for essential shopping so uh yeah it's it's pretty much locked down i I guess I've got the added bonus to chasing around four kids. Uh, so that's certainly keeping me very busy. Um, bit of homeschooling in, in there as well. Although, thankfully, my wife's a teacher, so uh, she she's taking the reins for that, and I'm just the principal. I'm just trying to oversee everything that's going on. Uh, but no, it's been yeah crazy times. But uh, strangely enough, um, I've actually quite enjoyed slowing down a little bit, spending plenty of time with uh, the family, and and just doing simple things. You know, like playing playing games with the with the family and and the kids, and and. And yeah, doing a bit of exercise along the way as well. So it's been, it's been nice, but um, I don't know, ask me again in a few weeks and it might be different.
1: How would you describe your reign as principal? Are you a hard taskmaster? Are you soft? <laughs> like what happens when these kids get sent to your office?
2: Very hard taskmaster. I, I, you know, I want very uh, very studious uh, students and uh, I want the standards to be very high. So um, yeah, cracking the whip a bit. I don't think they like the principal very much at all.
1: I don't believe that for a second. Uh, now, you have been busy. What's this report in the paper that you're going to be doing a SACA review? You did it for Tasmania a couple of years ago. You're doing the same thing with Kane Richardson's Redbacks?
2: Yeah, I know. It's, uh, it sort of caught me uh, you know, by surprise out of, out of the blue, really. Um, but yeah, just sort of started that in the last couple of weeks. It's been really interesting, uh, delving deep into the way South Australia go about their cricket uh, from a, a range of perspectives, really. But uh, yeah, not much to report just yet. But uh, Richo, I think you're on my, my hit list of people to speak to at some stage. So hopefully in the Beautiful. next couple of weeks I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, we can have a good chat about what's been going on over there.
3: Something to look forward to then. I'll put, the, I'll put it in the calendar now
1: well let's do it now why wait let's hear it Uh, maybe not (laughs) what are some of the things you do look for in this type of process mike knowing that you've done it with tasmania what did you learn from that experience and what are some of the broader things that you you try and investigate
2: well well it depends on on what the organization wants uh, to investigate really um it's quite broad from the south australian perspective uh so so they've their board has sent me a, a long list of questions of of Areas they want uh, explored, I guess, ranging from culture through to the systems, through to the high performance, uh, you know, as I said, quite broad at this stage. Um, And then they also send through a big long list of people that they'd like to be interviewed. Um, And then I sort of add on a few other people that uh, I think would be relevant and uh, just try and build a bit of a picture, I guess, of what best practice looks like. Uh, and then have a good look into how South Australia or Tasmania are doing it. And uh, if there's any gaps or holes or, or areas that, uh, that that perhaps you know, suggestions that could be improved, then, then make some recommendations along those lines.
1: Kane, have you been involved in something like this before at, the, at South Australia?
3: Yeah, I was trying to think about it the other day. I don't... I can't recall... Um, well, maybe there was when I was younger, but I was never one of the people on the hit list to be spoken to, but... Um, I think maybe when Darren Berry uh, just before he took over, there might have been something similar. Um, yeah, but we were on our phone hookup last week to find out about it. So I think it's it's really good from the Sackets proactive in this time where no one can really do much else. I think it's really good to be utilizing someone like us um, and and what he did in Tasmania. They've obviously turned around um, their performance on field in that in that space. So I'll give all the credit to us for that. But um, <laughs>
2: I'll take I it guess... as well. But uh, I can't. I can't. I can't
3: say that's true. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I just hope for us that um, it does lead to, to better performances on field because it has been quite a, a tough, uh, probably 10 years in, in terms of how we've gone on field.
1: Hass, I'm not sure if you know this, but Richo says a lot about not being picked in the Shield team. Is there any way you can fix that? Because he, he wants to play more red ball cricket.
2: Well, from from what I've investigated so far, that's going to be my number one recommendation. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and I think bowling at least 50 overs per game as well. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be one tired boy next year. <laughs> Beautiful.
1: When's the last time you bowled? Did you play the Junction Oval game, Richo? Was that the most overs you'd bowled for how many years?
3: No, that was that was good because it was only one inning. So, I think I was only early 20s. So it was actually my favourite Shield game ever because <laughs> it really bowled once and then I put my feet up for two days. So oh, it's been a long time. I reckon Huss would have bowled 50 overs in the innings the last time longer before I did. It's been a very long time since I've played a, a big role in Shield cricket.
1: Mike, how have you seen the state of, of Shield cricket over the past four or five years? Do you think it's at the levels that it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago or and where can you see it heading?
2: Well, it's a good question. I, I've got to be honest, I haven't watched you know, a, a heap of shield sure cricket. Uh, and so I'm, I'm probably not best to answer that. And, and that's why it's probably good to come in um, to do something like this with the review. Just just pretty much as a, a big external um, uh, open eyes to, to what's been going on. But but the games that I have seen, I, I, I think the um, standard's are still very, very good. Um, I, know, I know there's the detractors out there. Um, probably, I, I guess I got disappointed a few years ago when... It was sort of being used a little bit to to um, prepare players for Test cricket, which which obviously that's what it's designed for. But it was sort of been uh, games were contrived a bit. I remember Mitchell Stark played a game up in Brisbane and played the first innings and then was rested for the second innings. I didn't like all that sort of stuff going on, um, and and it didn't happen all the time. But just I think first class cricket um, is a basically it's a, a very important. Level in, in the whole uh, scheme of, of Australian cricket, and it needs to be as tough and as hard and as, as competitive as, as, as possible, um, you know, to try and make that jump when they when those players make the jump to Australian level as small as it possibly can be. Um, so, I, I believe it's still you know a strong competition now, but but I just think maybe we just lost our way a little bit with the what, what you know the focus of it. Um, and how we were using Shield cricket. probably oh, It's probably a number of years ago now. I'm not exactly sure, but, but I still think it's a pretty good, pretty good system.
1: Richard, how do you see the Shield comp? Do you see it as the first class competition in Australia or do you see it really as that stepping stone, that pathway to the test side to get players ready for the national team? Is that, is that what matters most in Australian cricket, that the, the top teams in men's and women's cricket are doing the best or is it having that strong layer underneath and making sure the integrity of that competition is as strong as possible?
3: I don't think there's a, I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's both. Um, I think we've seen in the years past where the Australian guys have been available for those first couple of rounds. That obviously for the New South Wales guys, that's the majority of the Test team. So to have those guys in the, you know, at the grounds that the Test matches are going to be played at, whether they're going to be day-night games as well, that's been, I think that's been good how they've done that. They've prepared those guys for, for the Test matches. But I, I still think, I mean, looking at it in my perspective, I'm. Probably not going to play test cricket, especially in the in the near future. So, for me, it's it's all about every time I play, trying to help my team win and to win a Sheffield Shield. So, a lot of guys have different motivations and ambitions when they play and um, I guess it's for the individual to find that. But I, th- I agree with Huss. I think the last few years have definitely got it right um, and it's gone back to just um, good, hard, old-fashioned cricket.
1: Okay. Let's talk about your first-class career and your international career, Mike. And it started by you scoring more first-class runs than anybody, I think, uh, before making their test to boot. Now, let's be let's be honest here. Did you feel like you were ready before then?
2: Well, I would have loved an opportunity earlier, but um, the way the the system was, it was a very tough competition. Uh, the, the Australian team was performing so well there. There wasn't many injuries. The I was an opening batsman for WA back back in those days, and um, the opening combinations were just doing so well. So it was really difficult to get an opportunity. Um, yeah, I, I guess. I just wanted to make sure that once, if if I did get an opportunity, I was completely ready and I just would never take it for granted because um, it it was so hard to to get hold of that big green cat. And um, so, yeah, I guess summing it up, I I would have loved an opportunity earlier um, and maybe – maybe when I wasn't quite ready um, to, to sort of see what it was like and learn and maybe then go out of the system. But, but then I guess the bonus for me was, yeah, I was a very experienced player. knew my game inside and out when I did get my opportunity. So I, had a, I guess I had a better chance of, of uh, staying in the team and having some consistency.
1: Well, you hit the ground running, 300s in your first five test matches. Uh, when did you really start to feel the pressure and the grind of test cricket?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I guess I guess in those initial stages, we were such a great team. It, it didn't really matter if I made runs or not. So I didn't really put too much pressure on myself. I just went out there, enjoyed it, um, never took it for granted. You know, uh, And then I guess after a few years of being in the team and we had a few players, of those senior players, retire and new and guys were coming in. So trying to, I guess, develop and build new relationships and build trust with those guys. Plus, I guess putting a bit more pressure on myself uh that that probably had a detrimental effect i I, I thought i needed to step up and do more as a senior player and you know test cricket or international cricket as richard knows it's it's hard enough as it is without thinking you need to do more and perform better and then then i guess hand in hand with that perhaps opposition teams putting a bit more time and effort into the planning and strategies against me as well made, made it a lot harder and uh when yeah, you start having a few low scores and the, the pressure seems to build a bit. The media starts talking about your place in the team. Um, the doubts and, 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 I guess, negative thoughts start creeping in and it, and it does it does get tough. It's a tough environment. So, um, yeah, probably probably after about two or three years, I, I, I must admit I went through a really tough period.
1: Before we get too much further, Richo, what were your early memories of seeing Huss in the Australian team? What did you like about him as a player, knowing that he is doing the soccer of you as we speak? <laughs>
3: I just remember my Hussey cover drive. That's the trademark that you remember, but it just looked like he was having so much fun all the time. And he still does. Even when he was around the team, the T20 team last year, he looked like he was still playing. Like he just had the, the biggest smile on his face. So, um, I was, I was fortunate and unfortunate to never get to play against him. But I just, yeah, remember those those cover drives on TV. Amazing Adelaide. Um, they were the things that stand out from us.
1: Congratulations. You've locked yourself in for that first Shield game next season. <laughs> um, speaking about Amazing Adelaide, uh, Mike, you've already said that it's your favourite moment on the cricket field. Is there a story or an angle or an anecdote that we haven't heard from that from that test match? I mean, we've talked about Warney going to dinner with some players up like before saying we can win this. There's all these um, things about on the field. But is there something that we probably haven't heard yet?
2: Oh, probably not. I guess probably after the game. Really, the celebrations in the dressing rooms were quite funny. Um, uh, uh, the England team came in and, and we were you know, just having a few drinks and reliving the test match. It was an amazing game. It really was. And, and then it came to the time where Justin Langer wanted to sing, sing the team song. And the England captain, Andrew Flintoff, was in the room and so JL was trying to get the England players out and, and Freddie Flintoff wanted to stay for the Australian team song. He goes, yeah, I'll, I'll be part of the huddle. And um, JL had great delight in kicking the English captain out of the dressing room because he didn't want him part of the Australian team song. So so that was that was pretty funny. But I guess the other one was, um, that was the last test match for Damian Martin. And... and uh, it sort of caught us all by surprise because he didn't say anything to anyone in the, in the dressing rooms after the game. And we literally uh, got to the airport the next day to fly to Perth for the third test and, and Marto was nowhere to be seen. And, and we all just thought that he'd had probably too much of a late night and just missed the flight. But he'd actually retired and fl- uh, flew into hibernation in, in Sydney somewhere. And uh, yeah, we, we were none the wiser. So that was a bit of a bizarre situation.
1: Has there been a better back foot cover driver than Damien Martin?
2: Oh, I don't know. I used to love watching him bat. Just the timing. Yeah, he didn't use a lot of footwork, but his timing, uh, yeah, particularly through that cover sort of region, was just unbelievable. It reminded me a bit of like Mark Waugh as well. I know Mark Waugh's signature shots off the pads, but it hardly looked like he was hitting the ball and it just raced away to the fence. It was amazing.
1: That 07 World Cup, uh, Australia making it three in a row. Mike, you uh, played in 11 of those matches but you only batted six times and you averaged 17. Uh, So (laughs) what are your memories of that World Cup campaign?
2: Oh, it was unbelievable, really. Uh, I I still think to this day the execution of the team plans in that tournament was unbelievable. The planning, the preparation and the execution was just first class. Um, We we did have a fantastic team, but we had some really unsung heroes as well. Yeah, you know, we had, you know, the McGraths and the Haydens, the Pontings, those guys that were just legends, but... Guys like um, Brad Hogg was unbelievable, um, uh, Nathan Bracken, Sean Tate, who came in for the injured, um, Brett Lee. They, they played an unbelievable role throughout that tournament. For me, personally, it was a pretty ordinary tournament, but that, that's the nature of batting down the order. You, you know, Quite often, I'd come in with literally a couple of balls to go and you just got to go for the tonk and, and yeah, you get out sort of a few times. So, um, yeah, personally, it wasn't great, but, I mean, from a team perspective, it was you know up there with one of the best Best experiences of my life: winning a World Cup for Australia.
1: What were some of the net battles like with McGrath, Warren, Gillespie, Lee? What were those um, net sessions like?
2: <laughs> yeah, throw in uh, Mitch Johnson into that as well. James Pattinson, uh, Stuart Clark was a very good bowler as well. It's. Um, yeah, brutal, really. If you can get through your net sessions unscathed, uh, then, then you know you can get through anything in a test match. And But that that was a real strength of, of the Australian team when I was playing. And, and certainly observing now the Australian team, how they train, um, that the, the quality... And high quality training is is you know what what sets probably us apart from maybe other countries. Certainly, the West Indies. I've watched a couple of their training sessions, and they're a lot more relaxed, put it that way. So, yeah, I think that's a really important part of, of what has been you know um, part part of Australia's success over the, in in the past.
1: Has the training um, practice sessions changed much since you've retired? I mean, think back to when you first started with the Aussie team in '04 uh, to when you went and visited with them in South Africa. What's that? 16 years has a training approach changed much?
2: No, not really. The, the, the basic training stuff hasn't, you know, um, Probably a little bit more specialised now. We, we kept it quite general back back when I was playing. It was it was pretty much just those good, hard, tough net sessions. Um, you got a little bit of extra skill work which you would sort of try and do yourself. The fielding drills were pretty basic as well. I feel like it's a little bit more specialised now. Um, but but certainly the support around the team now is is much more extensive. You know the players have so much expertise at their fingertips to help them be the best players they possibly can, and uh, and that's certainly a big difference than certainly
1: when I was playing. Does that feel the same with you, Richo, when you're out there training? Has it changed much? I mean, you were in the 2010-19 World Cup side. As, uh, we're going back 10 years now. I can't believe <laughs> it's been that long. Has it changed much? You, are you really just focusing on your specialist skills?
3: Yeah, I guess it's different for a bowler because, well, especially now you get told pretty much at the start of a session how many balls you're expected to bowl and you can always give or take depending on how you're feeling. But, I mean basically for us, that's our work done is, is, is bowling to the batsman, and we're done. So I guess for a, for a batsman's point of view, they can always stay and do extra that, you know, if is on the, on the wanger, throwing for hours at Smithy, things like that. But yeah, I just think the extra hands on deck, I remember, well, Bob Simpson used to be coach. It was pretty much him on his own, wasn't it? So I think, you know, the days have changed a lot since then where, you know, we're, we're spoiled in terms of how many staff uh, we have. And, and even as a, as a bowler, to be able to have a hit for 20 minutes you probably don't i I'll go back to state cricket and i can't get that so uh yeah we're very sport in how how we go about our training
1: i wonder how much batting glenn McGrath did in the nets um <laughs> and mike you know him better than most and i reckon one of your more underrated test hundreds came in just your fifth test uh, against South Africa at the MCG. I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about. Uh, Ninth wicket falls. You're on 27 off 94 balls. You end up on 122. You're just running down the wicket, charging all these fast bowlers. You put on 107 runs with McGrath and he makes 11. Uh, What are your memories of that innings?
2: It was unbelievable, really. Um, Where do I start? I I guess just starting with Glenn McGrath and, and how much batting he did. We used to have a lot of humour with Glenn, because he didn't do much batting at all in the nets. And in his kit bag, he had three gloves. He he couldn't figure out if he'd lost one or found one. So uh, (laughs) that's how much time he was putting into his batting. But but I must admit in that particular innings, I have to give him so much credit. I I really do like the the amount of, um, I guess, guts and determination and and willingness just to hang in there and and cop plenty on the body and and to survive uh, was amazing. But from my point of view, it was just one of those crazy situations where the stars align. Like We're nine down. You're batting with Glenn McGrath. Any run we can get is a bonus. I was playing in my first Boxing Day test, one of the biggest test matches you could ever play in your life. And I just basically had to play like I was playing in the backyard with, with no fear, no freedom, just, just go for it. And it doesn't happen very often in your career um, or, or a season, but everything just seemed to click that day. And uh, it was just one of those lucky days where things went my way. Um the, the longer Glenn and I batted together, um, the, the more frustrated the South Africans got, which motivated us to keep going as well. And I just remember thinking, I can't believe I'm yelling at Glenn McGrath to hang in there and you know, don't play any bad shots when he played like over 100 test matches. And I was playing my fifth. Uh, and I was playing with just such, I guess, gay abandon, really, on the biggest test match you can ever play in your life at the MCG. So it was just one of those bizarre experiences. And, uh, yeah, I feel very lucky i guess to to be able to have that partnership with glenn
1: i think glenn uh says that he holds the record for getting the most batsmen over 100 he's at the other end when they get to triple figures so something to hang his hat on
2: i tell you i tell you what i did chuckle at is as we were walking off i got out in the end going for a big slog and we're walking off and um uh i'd scored 100 so i was sort of waving my bat to the crowd and saying thank you and and there's Glenn walking literally in front of me with his bat up in the air, waving <laughs> to the crowd. I and mean, he scored, scored 11. I was like, come on, mate, this is my time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mike, when do you think your peak was in the Australian team? What what summer or what set of years do you think when you're at your absolute best?
2: Oh, that's a, that's a good question, I guess. I, I would probably say at the start of my career, when I was 2005, uh, started for Australia. And it came came down to... I was ready as a player because um, I knew my game well, um, but I didn't understand international cricket at that stage. I was just going out there and just playing with, you know, I, they, they say it all the time, playing with freedom, but I didn't put pressure on myself. I just enjoying the experience, had a great team around me that I could just go out there and play my way. And, and that, that, for me personally, that, that's what really worked for me. Then I went through a couple of years where I started putting more pressure on myself, felt as though, I, you know, as a senior player I had to do more, take more responsibility, but then I got to a stage right at the end of my career um, where I just let go again. And I just said, I, don't, I said to myself, I don't have to prove anything to anyone else. I'm just going to go out there again and just enjoy it, play my way, not put any pressure on myself. And, and what will be, will be. If, if I score runs great, if I don't, well, it, it, doesn't, it still matters. But, I mean, it doesn't matter as much anymore. And, and for me personally, once I got into that sort of state, that, that sort of frame of mind, then that's when I played my best cricket um, and I guess probably at the end, I had a better understanding of how to deal with international cricket, dealing with the media, uh, how to block all that out, dealing with the, the amount of crowds, you know, and, and that can be a distraction as well. Plus there's sponsorship um, obligations, you know, just, just being able to uh, prioritise things and, and just being, still be able to focus on my cricket. So probably right at the end of my career is probably when I was at my best.
1: Richo, how hard is it to just try and put that pressure to one side and play without play with that freedom. I mean, it, it sounds easy when you, you say it, but I imagine it'd be much more difficult in practice. How hard is it just to, to try and forget everything that's happening, all that external pressure, and just play You know, with that freedom?
3: It's, e- it's easy to say and harder to do. I, I, Huss, just speaking then remind me of a um, chat we had with Haystow last week, and I reckon he said the year that he felt he really dominated one day cricket, he was in the same kind of headspace as that, was basically nothing to lose. I'm just going to go there and try and have fun, and and do the best I can, and and live with whatever happened. And I think for me as well, in the last um, kind of year, I've tried to go into that same uh, kind of zone as well. And it's it's it, again, it's easy to say and harder to do. And I I try and tell other blokes now, the blokes who are a bit younger, to try and emulate that. But it, until you experience it yourself and you get a bit older, um, yeah, it, it's it's hard. But you just you just go there and try and have fun. And in the end, if if if, if it doesn't come off, well, you just go back to go back to life. And if that's going back and playing state cricket, so be it.
1: Mike, we're going to go to our next segment called best of enemies. You've had a fantastic test career. Uh, Now's the time that you give us the best 11 of the players you played against. Uh, We've had some good suggestions so far. Peter Siddles, 11, very strong. Shane Watson, he named a squad. Um, (laughs) took the soft option there but uh, have you got an 11 for us and I'll just get you before you explain them. let's just read out the team and then we'll go through it
2: okay I I did have a quick look at Peter Siddles I must admit this morning and a very good team I must admit Uh, I've got a lot of similar players in there Uh, so I tried to jot down uh, a team um, as best I possibly could I I could have spent hours and hours on it but I I didn't so uh, this is what it is anyway I've got opening the batting I've got Verinder Sawag at number one. His partner I'm sort of struggling with a little bit. I'm tossing up between Alistair Cook and Graham Smith, but I'm probably leaning towards Graham Smith at this stage. Not, not nothing against Alistair Cook, fantastic player, but Smith in tough conditions, captaining South Africa, fantastic team. Number three, Brian Lara, uh, four Tendulka, five, Coley, six, Callis. seven. I struggled with as well, with the wicket keeper tossing up between Sangakara. MS Dhoni and AB de Villiers. And I've settled on Sangakara. Uh, then I've got Dale Steyn. Nine is an interesting one. We might have to talk more about that. But I struggled with this one, either Mornay Morkel or Graham Swan. Uh, Ten, Jimmy Anderson and 11, uh, Murali. And sorry, for number nine, I'm going to stick with Mornay Morkle um, just ahead of Graham Swan. But uh, yeah, that, that's my 11.
1: Jeez, very impressive. So Smith v Cook. Uh, you've gone Smith, just because he's uh, done it in all conditions, and I guess you would have played a fair bit more against him as well.
2: I think it was the way he played as well. You know, he was a tough, uncompromising player, um, and and he took the game to you. And um, he he played. They played in some tough conditions there in South Africa. Those pitches are not easy. Uh, to to bat on. He he was leading from the front as a skipper. um, And and I love the way he went about it. Certainly not from a technical perspective. He was very unorthodox, but very effective. Alistair Cook, unbelievable player as well. But he he was more that grinder, just wear you down, try and bat for for days and days and days. Um, Whereas I think the mentality of Graham Smith was he wanted to set the game up.
1: Right. Uh, Middle order speaks for itself. And I know how big a fan you are of Jacques Callis. I mean, you you could make the, the argument that he is the game's greatest player.
2: <laughs> it, it's funny you say that because I, I've sat in a few... Um, at Chennai Super Kings in the IPL, we, we have a lot of bus trips and we have this argument in the bus all the time about who's the greatest player to have ever played the game. And, and there's a few people in our bus. Um, our coach, Stephen Fleming in particular, always argues that Jarvis Kallis is the best player to play the game, he's got virtually Ricky Ponting's record with a bat, nearly Brett Lee's record with the ball, which is de- very impressive. But but I I always argue that Don Bradman's the greatest player because you know he averaged obviously a touch under 100 at 99.94. The next best is less than 70, so you know he's almost twice as good a player as any other batsman's ever played the game. So I always try and argue back, but this keeps going back and forth for, for, for um, days it seems. But Callus is probably up there in the Let's say he's in the top five to ever
1: play the game. Sure. Richard. do you guys have that, those similar debates? Yeah, we do.
3: Um, I reckon, well, I'm just thinking for now. I think Callis. I think Callis is. I like thinking the Don though because I'm, we never see him places, that, mis- that mystique about him. But, it's, yeah, Jack, like you said, the, the batting and the bowling records on their own uh, speak for themselves. So, unbelievable cricket player.
1: Now, it's interesting, Mike, that you went with Sangekara because Siddle picked him without the gloves, but you've given him the gloves. And his career record, I think he averaged 70 when he didn't have the wick-keeping gloves on, but you've got him there at seven and he's going to be keeping wickets.
2: Yeah, well, this is, I wrestled with this one as well. Sangakkara, unbelievable player. MS Dhoni, unbelievable player. And AB De Villiers. But I thought MS and AB De Villiers probably had more impactful in shorter form cricket, in T20s and, and one-day cricket. Not to say they weren't good Test players as well, but Sangakara had an, a, an immense impact in Test match cricket. Um, I, I decided to give him to the gloves mainly because who, who are these other batsmen I'm supposed to leave out? Brian Lara, <laughs> Sachin Tendulkar, Virat Kohli, Juggs like, you know, yeah. It's unbelievable. So, um, so I decided just to try and um, help with the balance of the team, get him in as wicketkeeper
1: feels like stain's gonna be an automatic selection in most of these teams. But you tossed up playing the second spinner, going Graham Swan over Mornay Walker. what what gave Mornay the edge?
2: Yeah, big Mornay is an interesting one and, and I know if you look at his statistics, which I'm not a big stats man myself. I don't like to study the numbers too much. I, I I study well, what I guess with Mornay, I just hated facing him. He was big, he bowled that ugly length, he was he was aggressive, always trying to either hit you. <laughs> it seemed like everything was Hit height on the bat, or it was up around the rib cage. It was just ugly to face. I remember a game at the MCG. I was going through a really rough, rough trot. I wasn't playing very well at all. I got out for a duck in the first innings, and second innings I got off the mark. And then Mornay was bowling around the wicket, and he hit me so hard in the side of the head, um, the ball ballooned over to square leg. Um, they appealed, and I was given out uh, for one in the second innings. So I got a duck and one. <laughs> Mournay, I did not even see this ball from round the wicket, smashed me in the head out. So I wasn't in a good place. So I've still got those scars from facing Mornay. Swanee was just a fantastic bowler as well, particularly in, in good, like, tough conditions, spinning conditions. He was just aggressive all the time. He, he, not much change of action, but he could get the ball to either skid on in and attack the stumps and look for LBWs. But he also had the ability with, what looked like the same ball, you're able to rip it past your outside edge. So I had some great battles with both those guys. But it's just who I preferred not to face the most. And it was Mournay because he was just ugly.
1: Anderson and then Morley. Uh, can you just give us an insight about Morley, what he's like off the field? Because he's a bit of a character, isn't he? You've worked with him.
2: Oh, He's a legend. I love Mourley. <laughs> he, he could just talk cricket all day and all night. Um, he, he should be Mr. Cricket. I'm telling you that. He knows <laughs> everything about the game. Um, in fact, when we played at Chennai together, uh, no one wanted to sit next to Murali because he just would not shut up talking about cricket all the time on the on the planes and on the bus trips and things like that. So it was my job to sit next to Murali so I could uh, put put up with all his chat, and I, and I loved it. But but even facing him, it was just incredible. It starts with the eyes with Murali. You know, as he's running into ball, he got these two massive eyes just sort of staring at you as he's running in, and and then the ball would come out of uh, you know of his hand and. and it's a pretty scary thought when you're not sure which way it's going. Um, so, so, so you could look like a real goose when you're facing him. And the other thing is you can hear the revs on the ball as it's coming down. It's like really like fizzing as it's coming down. And, and then lastly, there's normally four or five chirpy Sri Lankans around the back, you know, chirping away at you. So uh, it was certainly very challenging facing someone like him.
1: I guess on that team bus, would Morale really have been nominating himself for best player of all time? <laughs>
2: I think he is actually a bit of a numbers man. Uh, he was very keen to get to the uh, 800, 800 test wickets he got. Yep. It's just unbelievable, really. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he, he's not, he, he doesn't big note himself too much. He's, he's just a great guy, um, knows a lot about the game, loves, loves the game, loves talking about the game. And, um, yeah, I loved his company.
1: Okay. It's a shame that you're not a numbers man because we're going to finish with a quiz, which relies a lot on you guessing some numbers about your test career. <laughs> Um, Richard, you've seen these questions and answers. How many do you reckon Huss is going to get?
3: No, I think he is a numbers. I think he's just saying that. I reckon he knows everything about his own career. So I'm going to say, well, uh, how many questions? Ten. Yeah. Nine. Yeah. <laughs> he'll he'll get missed, one wrong on purpose.
1: He's missed the cricket. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Number one. Now you made your ODI debut in February 2004. You scored not out against India. Now, it took a while for you to be dismissed. So in what number match were you first out?
2: I have no idea. Uh, the second match? <laughs> come on, mate. Well, I You're... must admit, I did bat number seven for Australia for I think for my first 70 or 80 games. So I either didn't get a bat or I'd come in at the end. So I did have an opportunity to get a lot of not outs, but I have no idea. So so it's obviously not my second match. Well, I'll, get, I'll tell you a guess, It's day my fifth.
1: Or oh, sixth, it was your fifth innings, uh, 84 against England uh, in Bristol. you would got right. 17 not out, 32 not out, 65 not out, didn't bat, and then 31 not out before finally being dismissed. Okay, so number one, that's the one you get wrong, nine <laughs> in a row from now on. Uh, in your second test, you scored your maiden test 100. Who did you hit the boundary off to bring up triple figures?
2: Well, I know this one. Uh, I can't forget that. Uh, Fidel Edwards.
1: Fidel Can you describe the shot for us?
2: It was just a little leg glance and it didn't sound like bad. It sounded like it came off my thigh pad, but I wanted to let the umpire know that I definitely got a little tickle on it. So I was jumping, carrying on down the pitch as much as I possibly could um, just to let the umpire know that I got some bad on it.
1: I reckon you'll know this one. Who dismissed you the most in test cricket?
2: Uh, or is is it Mornay or Dale Stane? One of those two.
1: Yep. Mornay eight times, Dale seven times.
2: Oh, there we go. That's why they're in my best team because I hated <laughs> facing both of them.
1: <laughs> okay, so you took seven test match wickets. How many were left handers?
2: Oh, good question. Uh, I know I got Stengakara. I'm pretty happy to tell everyone that. Um, <laughs> and I got Vittori. Oh, I think I got the other Sri Lankan uh, Maybe three.
1: No, five. You're a left handed specialist. Stengakara, <laughs> Darren Bravo, Vittori, Jesse Ryder.
2: Oh, yeah, stumped. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, uh, which nation did you average the most against in test matches?
2: Uh, actually, I reckon I know this. I reckon it's Sri Lanka. Um, I was told about this during the last. When did Sri Lanka come? Did they come last summer? Yeah, and, and then someone but, told me that uh, I had a good average against them. I don't know what
1: average that. 110. Five centuries in eight matches.
2: That's where the not outs come in handy.
1: Did you face Murali in any of those games?
2: No, thankfully we, we had Rang, Rangana Herath was the main spinner then, and he was a very good bowler as well. But thankfully, Murali had retired. I, I faced Murali in Australian conditions, which was much different than facing him in, in Sri Lanka.
1: Yeah. Okay. In terms of average, who was your most prolific batting partner in Tests? This is in terms of average, not runs.
2: Uh, well, I I really enjoyed batting with Ricky, and I really enjoyed batting with Michael Clark. Uh, as well so i'm going to say
1: one of those two uh, let's say pup okay so pups the most in aggregate but average is jason gillespie with 320
2: (laughs) and he scored most of them i think
1: (laughs) (laughs) you also averaged 164 with Sean march 67 with maddie hayden Of the Australians who have captained more than once in ODI cricket, how many have never won a match in charge?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you are a mongrel. (laughs) There's probably only one person, it's probably me.
1: Uh, me, me, Yes, one. Uh, Mike (laughs)
2: Castle.
1: You did average 90 in those games, though. So you did everything with the bat, just awful in the field.
2: Yeah, well, uh, we, we rested. Most of the team before a World Cup, we went to New Zealand. I think we had eight players out at that stage. And then the first training session, Brett Lee got injured. So um, we had like eight players out and, and we lost that series 3-0. We well,
1: don't want to hear these excuses, mate. Okay. Uh, in your match winning 60 not out in the T20 World Cup semi-final in 2010, how did the final over play out? So we're after the run scored off each delivery.
2: All right. I'll have a go. Uh, Well, I think Mitch Johnson was facing the first ball and he got a leg by. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was expecting a fast Yorker from Ajmal, but he actually bowled a really slow lobby one. So I think that went for six. And then he went through his fast Yorker. So that was six. And then I thought, I don't know what he's (laughs) going to bowl now. And he bowled really slow, but wide of off stump. And it was good good thinking, actually, but I've got a thick outside edge and it just ballooned over backward point to go for four. And then I think the last ball, I, I just thought, just, just try and slog it um, and thankfully it came out of the middle. So I think that went to 6-2.
1: Outstanding. He's not a numbers man, Richo. <laughs> yeah. Please turn it up. But
2: that's not the numbers. That's just remembering <laughs> the game.
1: What do you think 6-4 and four is, mate? They're numbers. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, last two. How many Australians have topped the run score tally in the IPL per season?
2: I know Hados got the orange cat one time. Uh, I reckon Sean Marsh might have done it as well one year. Who else? I, I wonder if Wado might have done it. I'm not sure if Wado did it or not. Um, I, and I, I know I got it once. I'll say three.
1: Four. Sean Marsh, an 08. Matthew Hayden, 09. Mike Hussey, 2013.
2: Warner. Warner.
1: David Warner, three times.
2: <laughs> three times. Yeah, that's amazing. 15,
1: 17, 19. Okay. Yeah,
2: I forgot about Davy Warnosh. That's a bad mistake. It's a bad one.
1: Okay, last one. Name the players you've presented a baggy green to.
2: Oh gosh, um, I should know this, shouldn't I? I know I presented Marcus Harris's, but I was lucky enough to present his Western Australian cap as well as his Australian cap, so that was that was really nice. Um, Marnus Labashane in Dubai. That that was a really good experience. Curtis Patterson at the Gabba. So I'm going to say three. I've, apologize if i've forgotten forgotten someone else
1: we don't actually have the answer to that one so we'll, <laughs> we're banking on you i knew it was marnus and uh marcus but forgot about kp so there you go a yeah. privileged moment i'm sure they'll never forget it mike but you almost have
2: <laughs> uh yeah no it is it's a, it is a special moment i must admit it's a bit daunting actually when you've been out of the australian setup for a while and you come into that inner sanctum you know, with all the guys around and the support staff and, and obviously it's a really special moment for the player making his debut. Um, I actually must admit, I, the heart was pounding um, every time I've, I've done it. So it's, it's nerve-wracking, but yeah, fantastic experience.
1: All right, Mike, we're going to let you go now. That was a good effort in the quiz, um, but as always, we appreciate your time, mate. Take care, stay safe and hopefully chat to you again soon.
2: No worries. Thanks for having me, guys. And uh, yeah, you too. Stay safe. And Richo, chat to you soon. Closely. Catch you very soon, mate. Look forward to it.
1: <laughs> Look
3: forward to it. Thanks, us.